Welcome to the CMC Podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to be a doer of the Word. Today's message is brought to you by our associate pastor, Paul Kerr. Well, go to Matthew 21. I want to welcome those that are joining us by live stream on podcast. It's always great to have you. And man, we appreciate when you write us and let us know what our messages mean to you. I got a really awesome letter today. I haven't even shown it to any of our, well, I think I showed one person today on our staff, but got a really awesome letter today from uh, a a young lady who had lost two brothers just here recently. One was 53 or so, and the other one was around 50. And um, one, one to suicide and one to COVID. And it's been really, really rough for her. And she actually uh, wrote about a message that she heard from Ella Hollingsworth here on healing and just said it was, she's listened to it many times over and over and it's been so powerful in her life to help her. But she just appreciated all of our staff that, that preach and minister. And obviously she recognized it takes a whole lot of people to make what we do happen. But anyway, it was, I just wanted to share that with our church because it's just neat seeing God do things through our podcast and our YouTube and our live stream and all that we have. All right, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be looking at three different parables tonight. I get to do three, so I've got to get going. But what do you think about this? We're starting with verse two. A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two disobeyed his father? They replied the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Toward the end of his ministry, uh, Jesus made a triumphant entry into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. You know, we're getting ready to enter into Holy Week, and we're going to celebrate each one of those days as we uh, approach Easter. And for many Israelites, that scene really represented the hopes and dreams that they had had for hundreds and hundreds of years that the Messiah would finally come and reestablish his sovereignty here on earth, especially in Israel. Rome would be driven out and Israel would enjoy the peace that the prophets had always promised them that they would experience. But all of us know that Jesus had different goals in mind right? We, we recognize the goals that Jesus had were very different than what those people expected. And despite the huge crowds that greeted Jesus, you know, they were waving palm branches and they were greeting Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I mean, man, they were just going all out for Jesus. But the fact is, Jesus was headed on a different trajectory than what they thought he was because Jesus was headed to the cross. That's where he was going. Well, in the meantime, Jesus would have some clear, uh, really (laughs) some serious clashes with uh, the religious establishment there in in Israel. And uh, eventually those voices that shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as he rode into town, would scream, crucify him less than a week 
later. Less than a week later. So it's during this turmoil that Jesus shares the series of parables that I'm going to talk about tonight. So I felt it was important for me to kind of give you the backdrop so that you would really understand what Jesus was trying to communicate. So these parables Jesus is sharing with them about these two sons. But before these parables, Jesus already started butting heads with them. And if you read a little bit before these parables, you'll remember that Jesus went in and he cleansed the temple of the money changers, right? Now, think about that for a minute. You're talking about religious people who have been doing what they're doing for a very long time, selling animals for sacrifice. That's how they were making their living. And Jesus comes in, and boy, you talk about stirs up a hornet nest now. Well, when, you're, when money gets involved in anything, when greed is involved in anything, you're going to make somebody mad, mad enough to the point that they would want to kill you, literally kill you. You know, we watch whodunit shows all the time. I love watching Forensic Files, and that's one of my favorite shows, and it's always these whodunit deals. And, and the majority of the time, it's usually over money. And so Jesus, man, he has stirred these people up. Well, then this kind of ramps up the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders there. And on the following morning, on his way to, uh, from Bethany, you remember Jesus cursed the fig tree. Right along the same time, Jesus cursed this fig tree, um, you know, because it was full of leaves and it didn't have any fruit. And a lot of people have interpreted that as Jesus was hungry and so he threw a fit. He got mad, you know, and he threw a fit and he cursed this, this tree because it didn't have any fruit on it. And that's just not the case at all. The fig tree represents Israel. And we can see this as we read the scripture, which really they displayed all the foliage of being spiritual, but they weren't bearing any fruit. And, and the thing that we always have to know and something that all of your pastors here as we preach that we often put an emphasis on is God is interested in fruit. He's not interested in a bunch of words. God's interested in seeing results in our lives, right? He wants to see fruit. And so the curse that Jesus spoke over the fig tree symbolized his judgment against Israel. So when Jesus arrives at the temple again, the chief priests confront him, right? And they're mad. I mean, they are upset with this hippie freak weirdo that is in their town, right? And acting like he's somebody. So they all want to know, they want to know, where do you get your authority? Who do you, in other words, who do you think you are, you long-haired hippie? And I have nothing against hair, honestly. I just, I think it's great that he had a a whole lot of it. I wish I did, but anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. So Jesus shares this parable about these two sons with them at that time when they ask him, who do you think you are? You You know, I remember when I was a kid and my dad in the morning, he would say, okay, when you get home from school, 
do such and such, so and so, and take care of this and get the chickens fed because we lived out on a farm and he'd give me responsibilities. And I would say to my dad, yes, sir, because that's what you say. <laughs> but sometimes I would get distracted when I got home. Motorcycles were a lot more important than feeding chickens. And um, having fun was a lot more important than mending fences. So I would forget or I would get distracted. And, uh, you know, I know there's probably parents in the room that you've done the same thing with your kids, ask them to do a certain thing. And, oh, yes, I'll do that. I'll make sure I take care of that. And then they forget. So Jesus contrasts this. You know, he's talking about this son not doing what he said he was going to do and then he contrasts it with the second son who initially refuses to do the work but then actually has a change of heart and does the work so God had sent John the Baptist to the people to preach about the Messiah coming and you know where the, the religious leaders were skeptical of John the Baptist in his message the scripture says that the prostitutes and the down and outers and even those that you know people would call the sinners of Israel, they responded to John's message. They repented of their sins, right? But these religious leaders, they didn't respond. And, and most of Israel's religious establishment made a big show of their obedience. You know, you can read about where if they were getting ready to give alms to somebody, they would, um, you know, blow a trumpet to get people's attention so that they could see them giving money to the poor or, or they would pray out loud, you know, these prayers, kind of like the one that we read about the guy, you know, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there, you know, that really uh, spiritual prayer that he prayed. And so, you know, they like to show their obedience, but, but they refused to recognize what God was doing. They just wouldn't, wouldn't do it. And so Christ's judgment of Israel was based on the fact that they were following the traditions of religion, the traditions of church, but they refused to recognize who Christ was and what God was actually wanting to do. So their, so their expressions of worship didn't translate into bearing fruit. It looked religious. It was showy. They had all the right outfits on but on the inside, see, where, where God's concerned about, they were void. So how does this parable apply to us? Well, th this story ought to unsettle us a little bit because we might have the best intentions with our promises of faithfulness to God or even give God our word on something, but, but promised obedience isn't necessarily obedience. There's a big difference between saying you're going to do something and doing something. And, you know, there's been times where, and, and don't get me wrong, I think attitude is important. I think we need to have a good attitude, a willing attitude to do what God wants us to do. But there have been times that I didn't necessarily have a willing attitude, but I did it. I think doing it is better than not doing it, right? Sometimes you just, you just do it and then your emotions and things kind of have to follow along and come into alignment with, with your obedience. Because sometimes obedience is, it costs you and it isn't easy and it's hard, but you, you gotta be obedient regardless. And you know, God doesn't want us just being obedient when it's convenient for us to be obedient. 
You know, the Bible says that Christ was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. So the kind of obedience that God is looking for is the obedience that has self-sacrifice involved in it. In other words, it could be painful obedience. You know, in other words, you could get fired for walking in that obedience or you could lose a close friend for walking in that obedience or you might have to end a relationship with someone because you're walking in that obedience. This is the kind of obedience that is necessary. And, and, and like the fig tree, it's possible to convince ourselves that the appearance of spirituality, spirituality is the proof of devotion, but Jesus, once again, he's looking for fruit. He doesn't just want us coming through the doors of the church on Sunday and saying, you know, good morning, brother, good morning, sister, how you doing? And then on Friday night, we're, we're kicking it up at the bar. You know, we're, 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 we're out doing something that we know probably if it was brought into the light and put up on the screen of the church, it would be embarrassing for us if someone saw that. So that's the kind of obedience that Jesus is looking for. He doesn't just want us to be these, these showy Christians. He wants us to, when we, get, when we get sideways with someone, he wants us to apologize. He wants us to ask for forgiveness and then he wants us to do better next time right and and hey we all do that 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 happens to every one of us when we when we miss the mark with our kids and discipline them or maybe we tell a friend that we were going to do a certain thing with them and something else better came up and we decided to do that and we left them high and dry then we got to be willing to repent and make that right that, that's the kind of obedience that Jesus is looking for. And thankfully, the parable of the two sons reminds us also that it's never too late to follow through and do the right thing with Jesus. You know, look, initially, the, the son had a bad attitude and he said, I'm not going to do it. But then later he realized, and how many of us have been in a position where we had a bad attitude, you know, come on. I've come in and I mean, I'm like, I'm not happy. You know, I'm building a house right now. It's hard to be happy sometimes when, when, you know, working with people. And so you come in and you're not happy, and, but then it's like, okay, but I've got I've to do right, right? I, I, I represent the Lord. I have to do the right thing. And not only that, I want to do the right thing. So sometimes maybe initially you may say something that you shouldn't have said or thought, see y'all are getting to hear I'm repenting before you right here tonight. <laughs> Nathan knows, he works with me on this, so. But, but, but the fact is that but you still have to make it right. And that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for this showy religious exterior. He's looking for a heart that can say, I missed it, I made a mistake, I wanna make this right, and then you put forth the effort to do it, right? You bear fruit of repentance. All right, let's go on. So Jesus goes into uh, another story. I mean, just immediately. He goes right into another one, verse 33. Now listen to another story. There's a certain landowner, he planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape, and, and built a lookout tower. And then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. 
Well, at the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect the share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were exactly the same. Finally, he sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to his estate. Come on, let's kill him and we'll get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. Well, when the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? Now he's setting, he's setting these guys up, right? He tells this story, he's got them all worked up because these guys are, these farmers are evil boy and they need to get what's coming to them. So here's what they say. He will put a wicked, those wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crops after each harvest. And then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the corner stone. This is the Lord's doing and it's wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. See, there's that fruit again. See, God's all about it. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone who falls on it. When the leading priest and the Pharisees heard this parable, they, re they realized he was telling a story against them that they were the wicked farmers. Well, they wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. So Jesus is uh, still engaged talking to these religious leaders and he continues by telling another parable to them, all right? So there are six main characters in this parable. Number one, the landowner, that's God. Two, the vineyard servants, I mean, that, you know, the, I mean the vineyard, that's Israel. Three, the tenant or the farmers, that's the Jewish religious leadership. Four, the landowner servants, that's the prophets who remained obedient and preached God's word to people of Israel. The fifth is the son, that's Jesus. And the sixth is the other tenants, that's the Gentiles, okay? So here are the characters or the players in the story of this parable that Jesus is telling them. Now, the farmer was apparently away at the time of the harvest and he had to rent the vineyard to these tenants. And so it was really customary during those times you know, they could expect when the harvest time came that the owner of the vineyard would come and, and, and basically, you know, this guy would probably get about half of what they made because he's using all of, they're using all of his stuff, right? Which is only fair. So Matthew 21, verse 35, it says, the tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, stoned the third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son and he thought, they'll respect my son. And what Jesus is saying is that God sent the prophets to Jerusalem to tell them about the coming Messiah, but they mistreated the prophets. They even killed the prophets and they did. They, they killed prophets of God. But now God has sent Jesus, his son, hoping that they would respect the Messiah and they would receive the Messiah and what the Messiah had to tell them, but they didn't. They did not respect him at all. 
So when the tenants saw the son, they thought to themselves, okay, we'll kill him. He won't have any other heirs. And so naturally, we're the, we're the ones that are here owning it. So we'll take his heirship and we'll get all of this land and we'll take hold of all of this for ourselves. And so that's why they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And so he says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants or what will he do to these evil farmers? It says, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, have you ever read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. The Lord has done this as marvelous in your eyes. And then he you know, says the king is gonna be taken away from those people and he's gonna be given to somebody else. Now, if a landowner didn't have an heir in the first century, the land became the property of the tenants. So instead of showing the landowner's son the due respect that he deserved, they disrespected him and they decided to kill him. And so Jesus here is basically prophesying of his own death because he's just a week away. So he's just letting them know, here's what you're gonna do to me. Here's what's going to happen. And Jesus is warning here is the vineyard would be taken from those who refuse to receive the gift of God and it's gonna be given to those who will receive the gift of God because God is for whosoever will. See, God, God's for whosoever will. It doesn't matter what color you are or how much money you have or what side of the tracks that you come from or who your daddy or your mama is. It doesn't matter with God. God's for whosoever will respond to him. And it's really heartbreaking to realize that the chief priests and the Pharisees understood his words, but they didn't respond with repentance. They knew what Jesus was saying. They had an opportunity right then to repent and make things right, but they didn't do it. Their response to this stern parable was to look for a way to arrest Jesus. They wanted to get this hippie out of here. They weren't concerned with pleasing God. Their only concern was how their actions were gonna be perceived by the crowds. See, they were more worried about being people pleasers than they were worried about being God pleasers. And we gotta be careful because in our culture, there's a lot of pressure. And even those of you that are like in high school, you know, I remember being in high school, there was a lot of peer pressure in high school to conform to the status quo and what everybody was doing. But the fact of the matter is, God's looking for fruit. That's what God's looking for. The Pharisees and the priests, they were too proud to repent. They were too proud to be corrected. They were unable to receive correction. So, so what's our takeaway? Well, <clears throat> You know, instead of these guys making a mid-course correction or repenting, they ended up under God's condemnation. That, that, that's what happened. And as we read this passage, I, I think we need to really consider what is our openness to the Lord's correction? Well, he, even better yet, and I, and I talk to our interns about this, I say, you know, would you receive God's correction if he corrected you? Oh, Yeah. Well, what if he did it through your roommate? Well, uh, it might be a little bit different. You know, it, it, it's one thing to have God appear to you in the form of an angel or a voice out of heaven, 
But when God corrects you through your wife or your husband or your boss or your child or your best friend, huh, now, that's, that's a whole nother story there. And, the, and you know, it's, it's, it's easy to receive correction. It's easier. <laughs> let, me, let me say that. It's easier to receive correction from people when they say it in a nice way. But you know what? Most of the time, that's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. You know, I think about Elijah. He was under that tree and he was about to die and God fed him with ravens. Ravens. I mean, that's nasty bird right there. So he delivered the life-saving food through the carrier of a nasty bird. Now, the food saved him, but the delivery was a little off. <laughs> I had a friend tell me one time in, when I was in, in a, at Applied Life when I was a lot younger, he said, um, he said, you know, sometimes when, when God corrects you through people, it's kind of like drinking water out of an old rubber hose that's been laying out in the sun for about a year. And you turn the water on and it starts flowing in it. It looks good, but then when you put it to your mouth, it's bitter. And he says, you know, you tend to want to spit it out. He said, but you know what? It's still water and it'll still save you, especially if you're dying of thirst. So, you know, when we're more concerned about how others perceive us then we are pleasing God or we allow our pride to get in the way of correction or we see correction as confrontation or correction is perceived as rejection, then we can really miss what God's wanting to do in our lives. Don't, you know, don't make it personal when God corrects you. Thank God for it. He corrected you. He, he loves, you know, I've heard young people say to me, I can't get by with anything. And I say, that's good. That's what you want. When I, when, I mean, when I came here to applied life, buddy, there wasn't anything. If I, people would show up late all the time, wouldn't get caught. I'd show up the one time that I was never late and Tim would be there. Kern, do you know what time it is? <sighs> you know? Proverbs 15, 31 says, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. Wow, what great advice for all of us to be able to accept correction and do what God wants us to do. All right, let's go to the last one, the feast, Matthew 22, verse 1 through 14. And we're just going to read this together. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son 
When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So we sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared, the bulls and fattened calf have been killed, everything's ready, come to the banquet. But the guest he invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm and another to his business. Others seized his messengers, insulted them and killed them. The king was furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I have invited are not worthy of this honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone that you see. So the servants brought in everybody that they can find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. See what I say, God is just whosoever will, just whosoever will. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you're in here without proper wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. So this parable is Jesus's third rebuke of the religious leaders, man, he's wearing them out. It's just one after the next, right? And the thing that surprises me is they're sitting there listening to it. Well, the king is God the Father. The son who is being honored at the banquet is Jesus Christ who came to that which was his own and his own did not receive him. Israel held the invitation to the kingdom, but when the time actually came for the kingdom to appear, they refused to believe it. And so we're not coming. And one, one thing that really sticks out to me is it's, it's not that the guests that were invited could not come to the wedding feast, is that they just didn't want to. They just didn't want to come. It wasn't that they couldn't, they just wouldn't. In other words, everybody had an excuse. Can you imagine the excuses that people have given for leaving church? Well, you know, that guy that was sitting next to me, he didn't have on right guard, that really offended me. So I just hadn't been back. Yeah, that's an extreme example. <laughs> but there have been some extreme decisions made by people because they got offended or mad and left church and hadn't been back in church since. An excuse, how tragic to be offered the blessings of God and refuse them because we're offended or we're more interested in other things, pursuing other things, deeming things more important than the kingdom of God. And obviously to the guy that was throwing the wedding feast, the most important thing was the wedding feast and he couldn't believe that they wouldn't come to the wedding feast. Why, how, how could you possibly think anything was more important than gathering at the wedding feast of my son? And I think that's gonna be how it is in the end times. There's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna say, well, had I known it was that important, I would have come, it was too late. Too late now. You should have paid attention at that time. You were given an opportunity. You just didn't seize the opportunity because you didn't deem it to be important for you at the moment that it was given.
And then it goes on, we find this person in the feast who wasn't wearing the proper wedding attire, attire and he was removed. Now, this is interesting because the king told the servants to go out and bring in anybody who's willing to come, the good and the bad, right? And they all get to come in, yet for them to stay there, they had to put on the proper attire, right? So in other words, God doesn't clean the fish before he gets it on the hook. And we can't do that with people. We can't expect somebody to get their life all cleaned up and then invite them to come to church. And I, I remember, and I've shared this story with you guys before, but I, I, I mean, it's just burned in my brain when uh, back before I was saved and I was dealing drugs, a friend of mine and I decided that we were going to go to church on a Sunday and it, his relative or somebody had a little church out in the country and we were going to go to it and we walked up there was a little lady sitting there on a stool with a pair of scissors in her hand and she wouldn't let us come in because our hair was too long unless we were willing to get our hair cut and we gave her the high five and left right so it i mean our job is to get them here the holy spirit's job is to dress them in the proper attire but you, have, but, but you have to be willing to submit to that, though, right? You have to be willing to submit to that. And so as we look here at the wedding feast, Jesus, as the king, provided wedding garments to his guests, just like God provides salvation to mankind. And that wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ. That's what closes. It's not our good works. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do with how bad we are or how good we may think we are. It has everything to do with what are we clothed in. Are, are we trying to justify ourselves through our own works and our own behavior? Or are we finding our justification through the blood of Christ and the robe of righteousness that he places on our lives? So when we look at the religions of the world, we usually either find man trying to work his way toward God or make excuses for himself. But in Christianity, what we find is the cross, the cross, and we see Jesus, and we see his sacrifice. See, Christ concludes this parable with a sad fact. He says, many are invited, but few are chosen. In other words, many people hear the call of God, but only few people heed the call of God. You know, I remember when the Holy Spirit began to convict me years and years ago before I was following Christ and I heeded that call. But I had other friends who we had had conversations who knew they were just as guilty, but they didn't heed the call. They wanted to continue to do what they were doing. But see, the cross is the only way to salvation. That's the only way. So, so to summarize the point of this parable of the wedding feast, God sent his son into the world and the very people that should have celebrated his coming were the very people that rejected him, bringing judgment upon themselves. See, God doesn't judge anybody. We judge ourselves. And we judge ourselves by our behavior. We judge ourselves by our lack of fruit and our lack of repentance unto God. 
So as a result, the kingdom of heaven was opened up to any, anybody who would set aside his own righteousness and his excuses and accept the wedding garments that Jesus offers. And hey, whoever you are, come on in. The, the, the kingdom of God is for anybody. The kingdom of God is for what? Whosoever will. That's all it's about. So all three of these parables, the two sons, the evil farmers, and the feasts speak to us of God's son, Jesus, and his invitation for us to experience the kingdom. And that's what we're talking about this year, entering into the kingdom, living in the kingdom. But for us to be approved by God and to experience his kingdom, we have to come through the recognition and the submission to his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you're gonna enter into the kingdom of God. I heard it told to me this way. There's only one person worthy of the kingdom. There's only one person worthy of heaven, and that's Jesus. He's the only one that is sinless that deserves heaven. So when you die and you stand before the Lord, he better see Jesus in you, or you're not getting in. Does that make sense? So we clothe ourselves in Christ in humility and obedience and he makes us righteous in God's sight and guess what the cool thing about the wedding feast is it's a celebration this is a party man and so you're you're happy you're having fun and a good time in the kingdom of God can I have an amen Did y'all get something out of this amen stand with me tonight look at there I made all three all three. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We honor you tonight. God, go before us this week. Help us to bear fruit. Help us to bear fruit, Lord. Help us to be genuine and real. Help us to bear fruit. God, bring us back here Sunday. Sit under your word and fellowship together once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to the CMC podcast. If you'd like to watch our sermons live or looking for more information about our church, visit cmcchurch.com or follow us on Facebook at Christian Ministries Church.